They're not surviving. They're thriving. They're not hidden figures. You just haven't been looking. These Black and Latinx women in STEM have stories to share about their challenges, successes, and lessons learned. It's time to amplify them. My name is Matt Stevenson, and I can't wait for you to tune in to Technically 200, a podcast about Black and Latinx women in STEM. On today's show, I'll be speaking with Sienna Jackson. She's a recent graduate of the University of Texas at San Antonio, where she majored in cybersecurity. Now, she's an associate cyber systems engineer at Northrop Grumman, and today she'll be sharing everything from how she helps defend us all from global threats, as well as what app you should delete from your phone right now, like right now. In fact, let's get to the interview, Sienna. Welcome back for another episode of Technically 200. My name is Matt Stevenson, and I am here with Sienna Jackson. Hello, hey, hello. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. Wonderful. So Sienna is a recent graduate of UTSA, uh, otherwise known as the University of Texas at San Antonio, where she was a major in cybersecurity. And now you are an associate cyber systems engineer at Northrop Grumman. Is that right? Yes, yes, that's correct. That, that is a mouthful. What do you do? At Northrop Grumman, I am working in the cyber survivability unit, and we are creating software to solve problems, the most prevalent problems for our customers regarding the world of cyberspace. All right. Okay. First off, what is Northrop Grumman, actually? Because I've seen Northrop Grumman on some trucks, but I know very little about the company itself. So Northrop Grumman is an American global aerospace and defense technology company. They have about 90,000 employees and they're one of the world's largest manufacturers of military technology. Oh, okay. All right. And so, so the work that you do, it's literally on military, what, what, what is it? Weaponry, defense systems, Software, hardware, different kinds of radar sensors. Northrop Grumman develops a wide variety of uh, capabilities, and I specifically work in cyber. Okay. And so you had mentioned customers before, so I'm assuming that the customers are exclusively governments. Is that right? Uh, it's a variety, but mostly, mostly. Mostly governments. Okay, gotcha. Um, because this is this is industrial grade. This is not like Matt's going to call up Northrop Grumman and ask for you know um, some home defense systems. Yes, it's mostly um, federal contracts. Gotcha. Wonderful. So. I, I mean, I know that there's only so much that you can say, right? Yeah, then I guess <laughs> I guess Northrop Grumman's customers are like um, the Army military units. I know they work with like the NASA, and they work with like um, like the research institutes. Okay, gotcha. And so the work that you do, I mean, why does it even matter? I mean, I. I guess one would say, well, we're talking about the army. So, I mean, what do you think? Um, but how, how would you say your, your daily work even impacts the, the average person? 
So the work we're doing daily has an impact on maybe not really an individual, but as a country, um, we are protecting the country from domestic international threats in cyberspace um, and making sure that we're keeping the grid safe, keeping the network safe, keeping businesses safe um, all over. One thing that you, you mentioned, and I, I always, I find it um, interesting. I think it, it conjures an image when I hear it, but I, I always hear about people wanting to live off the grid or they're living off the grid. I, I think people say it pretty flippantly, but what would that even mean to live off of the grid? Cause I, I've thought about that, like, oh, living a more low-key life. Living off the grid to me and I think some people would be would agree that with this is like probably not having technology like your phone, your computer. It stores so much information, so so much data about you, um, and it's easily hackable. Um, just people using TikTok recently. They've discovered someone reversed engineered it and found out that it was actually malware and. I'll send out my the source I saw Wait, from I'm Reddit. Sorry. I'm sorry. So if if we have TikTok on our phone, we've all downloaded there, malware. There's so much stuff happening in the background when you open up the app. So it's collecting a lot of data, and it's not really regulated the same because it's Chinese developers created it. So it's just the regulations aren't the same. So okay. So if I've deleted it and no longer open it, then I'm, I'm good going forward. <laughs> Well, based off of what they already did, because um, I don't know if you know all the time that whenever you accept the terms of the agreements and then you accept it to give access to your camera, to your microphone. So lots of stuff was going on in the background while you're just scrolling through watching videos. So oh, that's great. It's sad. And for me personally, I did have it. I deleted it, but I've noticed an increase in like, the amount of text messages I get from just random numbers, random links. They're all phishing links. Um, and the same with phone calls. That's why I've, I've started to, are you kidding me? That is it. Oh man. See, it's I scary. was, I was just trying to understand what the, you know, I'm just trying to stay relevant. Our students, they like TikTok, So I just, I'm learning a lot. Okay. So first thing listeners, Delete TikTok. Would you, right? We can go ahead and say that. Delete I would TikTok. highly recommend deleting TikTok. Oh, man. That's, ooh, we got to make sure this episode gets out like quick, fast, and in a hurry. Okay. So that's the first thing. We're learning a lot. Second thing. Well, I, I, before we get to the second thing, so living off the grid, you said, is no technology. So we're talking about, you know, like the Amish, for example. They, yeah. that is living off the grid. Mm-hmm. I read a really good book one time. Um, some people go as far as like not using anything electronically. So I know sometimes I read this book about this guy who went to go live in this Amish community and they didn't have microwaves, they didn't have stoves or ovens, which um, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, not having a refrigerator, but living off the grid is definitely maybe not having internet access. And then the guy who tried it for six or eight months or so, he then changed the way he 
approach technology and his relationship with technology. So he would still need to, you know, use email and the telephone. So he would have like a house phone or he would go down to the local library to access his email there and not have it like in his household. So, I mean, you've now been in the cybersecurity or at least cyber system space since college, right? Yes. When was the first time that you wrote a line of code? Oh, I wrote my first line of code in, was it 2016 when I was back at SFA? And it was the basic Hello World. Okay, so four years ago. Yeah, it was four years ago. Okay. I was thinking that you've been coding for a long time and this was just natural to you. Probably using computers. I would say I'm computer savvy, but when it comes to computer programming, um, that is something more recent. So tell me, how did you get here today being a cyber systems engineer yet four years ago, that's when you wrote your first line of code? Because I think most people would have assumed that being an engineer, being in the cyber systems or cybersecurity space, that this had been something maybe you'd been doing since high school or even before that. I'll start from college because that's when I really made the shift. Actually, even well into college, it was in 2017 um, when I transferred to UTSA to start studying cybersecurity. Uh, my freshman year of college, I thought I wanted to be an accountant because I thought I would not be poor if I had a career managing money. Um, but I quickly learned that, yeah, I don't really like this. And I want to do, I think there's definitely something I can do that I like, that I'm interested in, that can also allow me to provide for myself in the future. Um, so I really like computers. Um, my mom worked in education all my life, and I would always go to the school she was working at after school and get on the computer and play around with Microsoft PowerPoint and Microsoft Word, making little about me presentations. And so I was thinking that I had those thoughts whenever I was going through this experience of, I don't really like this, but what do I want to do? And I was like, I always like computers. So what is available in computers? And because of, I had already taken a bunch of business classes, um, computer information systems came up. Computer information systems is basically managing and creating computer programs to maximize businesses. After I switched into that, that's when I started hearing more about cybersecurity. SFA's program at the time, they were like, yeah, that is something we can see ourselves doing maybe in the next two years. I was like, oh, well, I'm supposed to graduate in two years. What, what are my other options? And so after looking around some wanting to stay in Texas, I saw UTSA actually in 2016 or 17, their cybersecurity program was ranked number one of the nation. And so it sounded like they had a pretty good footing for their program, and there was a lot of um, opportunity available there. And my cousin went there. She's my favorite. Um, so that's when I transferred to TSA, and then that's when I started studying cybersecurity. Um, a person I met at SFA was also in cybersecurity working in Austin. I heard about cybersecurity from her first when I was at SFA, and I was like, that sounds really cool. And then when I talked to the computer science department, at SFA about it. They're like, yeah, that's when we want to go in the next two years or so. And so after I got into classes at UTSA, um, I got a job at the cybersecurity lab. I started doing research with my professor that led me to getting my first internship 
at Dell as a cybersecurity analyst, and then more connections there, going to conferences. Let me ask you, what was it about cybersecurity uh, from that person who you met um, and told you about this as an, as an opportunity? What was it about cybersecurity that really piqued your interest? That's a great question because I love the way that she presented it. Um, she is a very spiritual, peaceful, wanting to help the world become a better place person. And she talked about cybersecurity as a way like it's in technology, but it also has a human aspect to it, like a helping aspect to it. And so what kind of led me down this path rather than a computer science path, which is nothing wrong with computer science path, but what I liked about cybersecurity was that it's just something that's really prevalent and it's something that affects everyone, whether they have a cell phone whether they want to or not, it affects them. And so me wanting to be kind of more what, philanthropic, giving back, um, I was like, this is a great opportunity to like still be technical and still like make a difference, I feel like. So she's, she presented that front and I really resonated with that. And so that led me more down a cyber, to learn cybersecurity as well. See, I, th I don't think most people think of philanthropy or civic engagement when they think about technology or about uh, computer science, but it seems like this is pretty central to your interest in the field. Yes, yes. And so when I go into work, it's complicated stuff and it's very, very detailed like the people who use it and for the reasons that they use it. In the past, there was a big thing called Stuxnet where someone released this computer worm to bring down an entire nuclear weapon plant in Iran. And that's a big example, but stuff from that to using cybersecurity to block phishing emails on your computer so that they don't get into your computer and get all your banking information, steal all your money. That's happened way too many times. People's financial stuff getting packed into. So yeah, it's, I feel like it's not a problem for people. It's not a problem for businesses. There's this meme that goes around on LinkedIn that says um, the budget before the breach and it's like pennies and then the budget after the breach and it's like a big stack of cash. So it's kind of hard. And so that's why I like the awareness aspect of it too. If people understand what the threats are out there, they can prepare for that rather than it blindsiding them and then them having to spend more money than having to delete their accounts, reset their passwords, try to call the banks to get their money back. So that's kind of how I think about it. And so in delving into cybersecurity and this work that you do, can you talk to me about how it's impacted um, how you approach your everyday life? Not even just technology, but, um, and you can talk about technology because I'm sure that there are other things that I should not be doing that I'd love to hear from you. <laughs> so I've already taken care of the TikTok deletion, but how, how is that uh, just your knowledge of information systems and cybersecurity impacted how you live your life? I was actually talking about it with my friend today because um, I woke up this morning and there was two charges on my account from another state and another country that hasn't even came in yet. And it really made me think, um, keeping your software up to date on your computer, making less of an online footprint 
Um, changing the settings, the security settings on your phone and on your computer are big. Um, How often would you say? At least once a month, just run a checkup. A lot of stuff gets done automatically on your computer and they'll just send you messages. Uh, something good, uh, I downloaded LifeLock today by Norton Security so that they can keep track of everything that's going on on my computer. They have a password manager, sec device security. Um, they give you a secure VPN to help with like theft protection of your personal information. So I think definitely having something like that. I know Windows Defender, I think the firewall that already comes on the computer is pretty good, but just definitely like to research what's happening, what are the current threats. Not just on a super big level, like with the military and the world, but even more like everyday stuff. Um, there's a social engineering podcast I like called Hacking Humans um, that talks more about kind of stuff that can happen with you and me, like everyday people. And then on top of the stuff that like the how the military brought down an entire <laughs> nuclear plant <laughs> on the other side of the world, the cyber wire are all great resources, listening to news about what new exploits, what new vulnerabilities are out there because there are some very intelligent people in the world that are constantly looking for loopholes and way to exploit things and they're being successful. And so um, part of what I do is also um, figuring out what attacks what vulnerabilities there could be so we can solve like future problems as well and detect problems earlier on before they get bad. So there are breaches all the time, or maybe not all the time. There, there, there are breaches. Would you okay. say that the work that you do and Northrop Grumman and other uh, companies like this have saved us uh, by and large from potential attacks? I'd say so. Um... Well, so let me ask you a question because you, you, something that you said also reminds me of this movie. Um, I don't know if you're a fan of 80s movies. Um, so I'm from New York and we had PIX11, so Channel 11. And every Saturday afternoon, there was a, there was a movie at 1 o'clock and there was a movie at 3 o'clock. And I, I watched both of them. I watched a lot of TV. But they would always, there was just probably like a good slew of like 15, 20, 80s movies that they would play all the time. And one of them was Real Genius. Have you ever heard of that movie? Real Genius? Do you know who, who Val Kilmer is? I don't, I don't know. Okay. Oh, man. I'm feeling really old right now. All right. Well, it's all good. Um, so, <laughs> so in any event, um, in this movie, there was, uh, the main character was a genius I think he was like 14, 15 years old. He was going to, I think it was probably a school that was modeled after like Cal Poly or, you know, just one of those like, you know, schools for like really technical, like the elite engineers. And there were all of these other geniuses that he was working with and they were designing some laser and, you know, the funding depended on it and his spot at the university depended on it. And so it was, it was a huge deal, of course. And finally, they created the laser. Um, it was great, very exciting, but it was only until after they had created the laser that they realized what it was going to be used for, which was to, it was like a, 
uh, a laser that could be used from space to take out a target with like great accuracy, like an individual. So wow. I guess my question is to you, I mean, and, and it's, it's sort of like the Manhattan Project, right? Um, there's like this cliche of scientists who are just so passionate about their work and they're just really good at what they do and they don't know the use cases for what they're building, but they, they're focused on, on building it. And so do you ever get the sense of, um, of tension or curiosity or concern around what you're building and, and how it may be used? Definitely. Um, I know that they're trying to build up this cyber warfare architecture um, for all of different military personnel can use to plan and execute missions. Even I know probably the customer is confused on what exactly we need, but we know we need something because we know that there's problems and we know there's going to be even more problems. So really for us, it's a lot of research. It's a lot of planning, brainstorming, asking questions. Later on down the line, I can see those problems happening too. That's totally fair. I still wonder, I'm like, what's really going on? But for right now, we're still simply trying to figure out what all this product is going to encompass and how it's going to help um, the customer solve their most pressing business and cyber issues. In you recounting this, it feels like an abbreviated story in terms of your, your path into cybersecurity. I, I'd love to understand whether there were any times when you said, maybe this is just not right for me, or um, I'm not cut out for this. Ooh. Um, I'll tell you all that I can recount times when I literally was thinking, what am I doing here? I've thought that um, in my programming classes, I have thought that in uh, my cybersecurity classes, I thought that at my internship at Dell, I thought that at my lab job at the cybersecurity lab, um, even currently, um, but just reminding myself of what I want to do with my life, reminding myself of all the research, all the work I've put in, all the content that I've created, and the problems that I've helped solve is a good reminder, something I look back to to see yeah, I know why I'm doing this. I know why I'm here and I'm where I need to be. Are there other ways that you, you, you are able to summon that strength so that you're reminded you are where you're supposed to be? So in those times of uncertainty and when I do have to make a new decision or make a new move in my career, I always think of what's the best that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? And considering all the possibilities, um, asking as many questions as I can, um, but just understanding that failure is okay as long as you learn from it. Um, and just know that regardless of any outcome, I'm still going to be a thriving human being afterwards um, is really a helpful kind of thing I tell myself so that I can still be human and still experience my life and learn. Where did that come from? I mean, was that something that was um, that you, when you look back at how you grew up, that your, your family instilled that in you? Um, was it a mentor along the way? So I had... 
um, I say a dysfunctional but supportive family that even though we didn't really know what was going on all the time, my parents still were very supportive and told us to be tough, get through it. We can get through it. You can always get through anything. Um, and then mentor, I had a really good mentor that I met at SFA and she also ended up being my mentor at my first internship at Dell. Her name was Jessica and she was very amazing. She gave me really good advice for interviewing and um, even with my career today, she's always someone that I can still call um, whenever I have questions and or I need some encouragement. And we keep saying SFA. Can you tell us uh, what SFA is? SFA is Stephen F. Austin State University in Small Nacogdoches, Texas. Oh, so, oh Small Nacogdoches, Texas. Um, so that's great that you, you had that mentor, especially since it translated from uh, your time in undergrad and then even into your internship. And so I wonder at this point, have you had an opportunity to mentor others yourself? Yes. So at UTSA, I was actually tutoring people in the cybersecurity lab. And then also I was a distinguished business student at UTSA. And I would talk on panels about my internship experiences, um, just word of mouth from my classmates. And as I got older too, it was mostly in the lab that I did a lot of mentoring. And then even actually today, I know I just started at Northrop Grumman full time, but I was just an intern here two months ago. And so I was still able to help even Northrop Grumman interns kind of navigate the feelings of imposter syndrome, uncertainty. Am I supposed to be here? And so I'm very thankful for the people who have helped me. And I'm very thankful that I get the opportunity to share my knowledge. I don't, I'm by no means an expert, but I've just picked up things along the way that have helped me. And so I want to be able to share that with people who, younger people who might feel the same way. You know, one thing that I've, I've heard in the computer science space oftentimes is that it's, it's a meritocracy. And so I would love to get your take on, as a woman of color, whether you would agree with that statement. Okay, on a side note, I've heard meritocracy too, but I'm not exactly sure what that means. Oh, sure, sure. So by meritocracy, that um, you will only advance or excel or gain recognition uh, because of what you've actually done, not because of who you know, or your connections, or any other non-achievement-based uh, um, uh, reason, basically. Ooh, so... Literally, uh, your A is indistinguishable from my A is indistinguishable from the next A. Based solely on achievements? I mean, I think that's a good thing to strive for, is like still having that backup to... This is what I've done, but whether it's those relationships you build and that character you build and that rapport you build with other people definitely plays a role. 
It's your ability to solve problems. And sometimes, like, for example, in two college graduates, someone who has a 4.0 and someone who maybe has a 3.0, but they've tutored, they've done internships, they've volunteered, they've built things, created things on the side. It's kind of like, oh, and those people have gone out and built relationships with people in the industry. I don't think achievements alone can help you get to where you want to be. I think that you also have to build relationships. Do you feel like you've been at a disadvantage as a as a Black woman in tech? I've definitely felt underrepresented even in my classes, um, being the only girl, being the only woman of color. Um, you said, did I feel underrepresented? You didn't say underrepresented. What you like, asked? Like you were at a disadvantage. Dis- at a disadvantage? Um, I would say so, but... It's hard because I went to Grace Hopper. Have you heard of Grace Hopper? Mm-hmm. It's so I got a scholarship to go to Grace Hopper. But you can tell our listeners what Grace Hopper is. Grace Hopper is the largest gathering of women in technology. So there's twenty, thirty thousand people there, and to every or to every man, there's like a hundred women, and so it's kind of like the tables were turned. It was a very productive. Um, enriching environment and I got a lot of career development interview practice from there and then so maybe a disadvantage with the support like the moral support but technically building the skills um, I think there's a lot out there and the people who are putting in the work can definitely develop those skills, but definitely felt at a disadvantage with the community. And so how have you been able to start addressing that for yourself now in your, your new role? Because now you're your full-time employee. You thankfully had several internship experiences. You've gone through a degree program and you've, you've had to navigate all this and, and now you've emerged successfully. And you're starting your career. So what are some things that you're keeping in mind, whether it be combating disadvantages or to ensure that you don't encounter them and, and really block and tackle them from, um, from happening in the first place? What does that look like for you? Kind of keeping in mind um, what I saw in my career development and in college and growing up. Um, I like to try whenever I do see someone, especially women, who are remotely interested, I'm like, hey, there's so many opportunities. And, you know, they not, they're not always right in front of your face, but there's a big, huge support system. You just have to find your people. Um, also on my social media platforms, I'm not like um influencer or anything, but anytime I do see any kind of support for women in STEM, I follow those accounts. I repost their stories and share their stories to just keep spreading that to people who follow me, people who don't follow me, um, spreading support and spreading awareness, whichever way I can. Well, um, Sienna, thank you so much for, for taking the time out today to, to speak with me and to share your experience and these wise words and, and encouragement for other young ladies who are looking to follow in your footsteps. So um, really appreciate all that you do and would love to, to have you back if you're willing. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. And for those listening, uh, we look forward to seeing you back soon. The Technically 200 podcast is hosted by me, Matt Stevenson. Post-production is handled by Noriel Aurelio. 
Our theme music is produced and edited by DJ Slice. Have a recommendation for a Black or Latinx woman in STEM we should feature? Email me at matt at code2college.org. You can find us online on Twitter, Instagram, and technically200.com. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next Thursday with a brand new episode.